Well, happy July, everybody. How are we doing today? It's good. Glad that you are here. I don't know if you noticed or not, but today was a really special day in our next-gen community and world. One of the things we like to do here at Sea Road is have a wee little bit of fun. And so what we decided to do throughout the summer is have these spontaneous, cool things happening, whether that's in our service, around our services, or sometime during the week. And today was Dress as Your Favorite Disney Character Day for our next-gen people. I've met a couple of Minnie Mouses and Elsa and Anna, and people have been asking, Jason, don't you believe in these kids? Like, aren't you dressed up as your favorite hero? I am. I'm dressed up as Iron Man because I'm Iron Man. (laughs) Right? Oh, I'm Iron Man. If you don't get that Marvel reference, that's okay. You can watch a whole bunch of Marvel movies this afternoon, and maybe, maybe then you'll get it. We're glad that you're here today. We are diving into a story of a man named Othniel. Really unique name. It means, actually, God's favor or protection, and he's affectionately referred to as the Lion of God. It made me think about this story when we were a younger family. We had only three kids at the time, and we would love to, we were living in Calgary, we would love to go to the zoo with all our kids in tow. We got like this annual pass because it was cheaper to get the annual pass than to keep paying the daily pass every time we wanted to go to the zoo. And one of our favorite exhibits was the lion exhibit. Now you have to understand, we had three kids under the age of five at the time, which for some of you, you're like, pfft cake. That's easy. For us, it was a challenge. We had to find a vehicle to carry us from our home to our place, but we also needed a vehicle, like an ATV stroller kind of a thing. We called it the big caboose. I've got a photo of the big caboose. That's what it looked like. You had two people in the gunner chairs because they're the gunner chairs because they would throw things from those chairs at the animals. And then you had the captain standing place where you'd you'd have the kids say, that way, daddy, that way, daddy. So this was the big caboose. This is what the Frizzell family traveled around at the zoo. When we got to the lion exhibit, here's what was interesting. The lion would start stalking my children. I don't know if you've ever seen this happen when you're by big cats on their cages. I I never prayed so fervently like I have in those moments where I see them pacing from one side coming directly towards us and I'm at this steel cage thing and I'm like, hmm, I wonder if this is strength tested as the lion dives head first. Now, usually it's because my kids had like Cheetos or cheese or whatever sort of knacky, that's what they called snacks. Naki they had in the moment, donuts and everything. I was nervous and afraid because you know what lions do? Lions are intimidating. Any of you stood face to face with a lion before? You know that person that you're like, whew, I feel a little bit uh, undone when I'm around them and not in a good way. They're intimidating, they're intense. There's something we can learn from lions, not just to be intimidated by them, but to be inspired by them. Because God himself is referred to as the lion of Judah. The one who fights, farts. (laughs) All right, we're going to pray and we're done. The one who fights for us. He probably did also pass gas because he was human, okay? Theologically, that is correct. That is going to be a soundbite forever, isn't it? 
the one who fights for us. YouTube famous, there we go. If you got a Bible, what I want to invite you to do is turn with me to the book of Judges, chapter 3. We're going to look at the first 11 verses. There's a name in those 11 verses that I will also butcher and mispronounce, but it'll be fun. Uh, we're going to take a dive and just kind of understand the framework for Othniel, his life, what we can learn from him. If you don't have a Bible, just a reminder that on your mobile device, you can, you can uh, get the, the Bible version U app, U version Bible app, and... Uh, Follow along with us in that space as well. So starting in Judges chapter 3, I'm going to be looking at the first 11 verses, reading them out loud, and then we'll dive into them one by one together. These are the nations that the Lord left in the land to test those Israelites who had not experienced the wars of Canaan. He did this to teach warfare to generations of Israelites who had no experience in battle. These are the nations, the Philistines, those living under the five Philistine rulers, all the Canaanites, the Sidonites, and the Hivites living in the mountains of Lebanon with Mount Baal Hermon to Lebohamath. These people were left to test the Israelites to see whether they could they would obey the commands the Lord had given to their ancestors through Moses. So the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, and they intermarried with them. Israelite sons married their daughters, and Israelite daughters were given in marriage to their sons, and the Israelites served their gods. Verse 7, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. They forgot about the Lord their God, and they served the images of Baal and the Asherah poles. Then the Lord burned with anger against Israel, and he turned them over to King Cushan of Aram. See, I'm going to skip that there. And the Israelites served Cushan for eight years. But when the, Lord, when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, the Lord raised up a rescuer to save them. His name was Othniel, the son of Caleb's younger brother, Kenez. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he became Israel's judge. He went to war against the king. And the Lord gave Othniel victory over him. So there was peace in the land for 40 years. Then Othniel, son of Kenez, died. Really short excerpt from the life of Othniel, what he was all about, what he was made to do. And there's kind of three pieces that we're going to unpack together as we dig into this story a little bit more. The first thing is this, problems. Problems. When you read this story, you understand that problems were in abundance in the culture and the context of this particular community at this time. There was problems all over the place. There were people that did not agree with what the Israelites stood for. They were all around them. They were, at times, influencing them negatively, having them kind of pull away from what God wanted them to do and what God wanted to, them to be about, to forget their history, their heritage, their values, their processes, and instead settle for lesser things. It was cultural chaos, one might say. Now, what's interesting to me is that you fast forward thousands of years later, and you can describe our culture today in the very same framework. 
cultural chaos. Listen to this quote from what I will call a cultural theologian, a hip-hop artist by the name of Post Malone. Check this out from his song, Hollywood's Bleeding. It's going to be on the screen. Hollywood's bleeding, vampires feeding, darkness turns to dust. Everyone's gone, but no one's leaving. Nobody left but us. Trying to chase a feeling, but we'll never feel it. Riding on the last train home, dying in our sleep. We're living out a dream. We only make it out alone. If you really dissect that for a moment, all you can see is despair and loneliness and chaos. Complete individuality, isolation, uncertainty, describing other human beings as vampires that are going to suck you dry and create chaos in your world. If there's anything that we can identify with in the time of Othniel and the time of us today is that problems are in abundance. Now you might be thinking to yourself, okay, Jason, we've heard about this all-powerful, all-knowing, all-living God If he really is who he says he is, then why does he make all the problems disappear? Why does he just make them go away? Why doesn't he just fast forward things and allow us to live in victory instead of fighting the problems that we are facing? Why doesn't he take the addiction away? Why doesn't he take the loneliness away? Why doesn't he take the grief away? Why doesn't he take the frustration? Why doesn't he take the abuse away? Why, why, why? Well, what's interesting to me is when I look from the framework of this story, I look at verse 2 from chapter 3, I gain some insight here. It says that God left some of these nations that he knew were going to be a bother to the Israelites. He left them in the community and in around them. And he did this, verse 2, to teach warfare to generations of Israelites who had no experience in battle. To teach warfare to a generation of Israelites that had no experience in battle. Problems are actually blessings in waiting. Now it's confusing to think about that from that lens and that framework because when it's a problem and you're right in it, it don't feel like a blessing. It feels like a problem. It feels like a frustration. But what if that issue, that pain, that struggle that you are going with is meant to help produce something in you? Skipping ahead to the New Testament, I'm going to read from you, for you a prayer of uh, blessing that we generally pray over our kids, particularly our daughter Layla. It's from the book of Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5. It says this, we can rejoice too when we run into problems. And trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation, and this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. If God didn't care, God would not make himself available to us in our problems. If God did not care, he would be the absentee parent. He would just peace out and say, see you later. I don't want anything to do with you. Good luck. But instead, he is willing to walk with us through our problems and our struggles so that what is produced inside of us 
is character that reflects our creator. Perseverance, resilience, gentleness, self-control, kindness, gratitude, thanksgiving, humility, and on and on and on. If we never faced a problem in our entire lives, you know what ends up happening? You know what we get when we don't have problems? Entitlement. Pride. That's the fruit that's produced in us when we don't face hardships. When despair isn't something that we're familiar with. When unsettledness, when frustration isn't something that we are used to, we get to feel entitled. Human beings, we're wired to think that we've got it all figured out, that we can do this on our own. But the truth is we can't. If you've ever walked through a season of pain, you know you cannot carry that pain alone. See, we understand it when it comes to celebration. We get it. We want to share the celebrative moments with people all the time. It was report card season the end of June. My kids came home with the report cards. You know what they wanted to do? Celebrate with me. Hey, Daddy, look what I did. And then I'd read it. And I'm like, I don't know if you should be proud of this. Like, <laughs> this, is, this might not be a celebration. Keep your hands to yourself. I don't know. We want to celebrate it. Hey, look at this. I got a new car. I got a new job. I got a new wife. I got a new husband. I got a new fit. Whatever it might be, we want to celebrate all of those things, but then when it comes to our pain, we don't know what to do with it. We don't want to seem needy or desperate or seen. We don't know how to share those things. But the truth is we live in a culture where problems are always going to be present. It sounds like a defeating statement, but it's not because we are not alone in those problems. In the tensions that this nation of Israel would have been feeling with all these other people groups pressing in on them from all sides. They were not alone. They were seen by God. And God sent them a leader to help deliver them from the season and the moment that they were in. God has created an instituted community to help us walk through seasons of pain and brokenness. We are never meant to do this in isolation. In isolation, in loneliness, we will always end up defeated. But together, in unity, we, we can experience hope and triumph and, dare I say it, even victory. Right-size your problems, friends. Right-size my problems, Jason. They will not defeat us when we're walking alongside of Jesus in unity, and in community. There's a second thing from this story that I think is worth highlighting and pointing out, and it's the word peace. Right at the end, verse 11, we're said that after Othniel gets victory, they experience peace. Forty years of uninterrupted peace. Triumph. Walking in hopefulness. I don't know if you've ever walked out of a season of problems and then you're experiencing a season of freedom, of hopefulness. You feel like you are on cloud nine. Nothing can touch you. You're going to be 100% okay. But here's the problem. Here's how sadistic we are as human beings. We are not content with living in peace. 
We're not. We all have that friend in our friend circle when things are going well who seems to just lob in a comment or does something to kind of stir it up a little bit. In our backyard pool, I'm that guy. When everybody's floating around, eyes are closed, enjoying the sunshine, it's the cannonball time. In fact, I'll call it out. I'll just point at them. I'll jump off the side or the diving board. You're my next victim. I don't know what it is. It brings me so much joy. I'm not so certain that the recipients feel the same way. Here's the thing about peace. Sometimes we don't know how to embrace it. Jesus says this in John 14, verse 27. Peace I leave you. Peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. So do not be troubled and do not be afraid. When a gift is given by God, you can bank on it. That is a certain investment. The problem is we settle for lesser than God-given peace. What I mean is when we're in relational tension and strife with somebody, we settle for less than God-given peace. We're like, well, if we don't deal with that issue, maybe if we just don't see that person, then we're going to be okay. A year goes by, five years goes by, ten years goes by, you go to your high school reunion, you see that person, you're triggered. Guess what? You've never been given peace. The peace that we crave, the peace that we look for, the peace that our souls are stirred by is something that can only be found in God. The peace that the nation of Israel experienced under Othniel's leadership was a God-given gift of peace. And yes, it meant having to fight to get there. We have to fight for peace internally and externally. What that means internally is we have to change the narrative that's going around in our hearts and our minds. The narrative that is like, man, they don't like me. I say weird stuff from stage. I said that God farted. (laughs) I got to change that narrative. I have to change that narrative, that untruth. Oh, my family doesn't have time for me. They don't see my needs. Oh, this person, they just want to tear me down all the time. I've got to fight to change those narratives. You have to fight to change those narratives. We've got to fight for peace. We've got to fight to stay right in the middle of God's gift of peace. Because if we do not, our human nature will lead us outside of peace. And we'll wonder why we feel restless, alone, lonely, frustrated, tormented, you name it. More often than not, it's because we've struggled to embrace the peace that Jesus offers. Because even when we're in peace, we're like, well, I shouldn't be in peace. Like, I'm facing a problem right now. I should feel anxious or frustrated. Maybe I should think more about this. Maybe I need to do more research. Maybe I have to do this, this, this. What if we just rested in peace? The gift that God gives us. Embrace it. And live into it. Because when we don't, what we're going to uncover here as we walk through various other stories from the book of Judges is that we're going to get into another season of entrapment, a season of frustration, a season of pain, a season of suffering. 
Some of it because of our own doing, our own doing, because we just do not remember what God has done and what God has given to us. It's a discipline to walk in peace. It's a discipline to stay in that space, to say to our mental anguish, you do not have root here. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody and they keep asking you the same question and you give them the same answer? Hey, Dad, can I go here? No, it doesn't work out. Hey, Dad, yes, can I go over here? No, not right now, it doesn't work out. Hey, Dad, yeah, what you doing? I don't know. You're looking good right now. <laughs> Thank you. Can we go over here? No, it doesn't work out. Hey, Dad, I just talked to Mom. Okay, what'd she say? She said to come talk to you. About what? Can I go here? No, it doesn't work out. <laughs> the internal mental gymnastics that happen in our lives, we have to be aware of them. The hamster wheel patterns that keep running and rotating. Sometimes they are wounds from experiences. Sometimes they are wounds from words. To fight for peace is to identify what they are, to name them. And then in whatever way we can, through our actions, our words, disarm them. Don't give them the power and the influence that they once had on us. We've got to fight for peace. Problems exist in our world, but peace is available in abundance through Jesus. All we have to do is say, I want that. And then rest in that peace. Embrace that peace, to digest that peace, fight for it. It's the only thing worth fighting for. Third thing that I want to talk about from the story of Othniel is another P word. It's called prominence. Prominence. What I think is really neat about this story is that not only does it have a lot of cultural similarities to who we are and where we are today, it also has cultural distinctives. See, in Othniel's culture here, there was this absence. What we know is that there was this really amazing military leader. His name was Joshua, who led the people up until this point. And then Joshua passed away, and all the leaders that he had developed passed away. And there was an absence of leadership, of strength of character for the nation of Israel. And they find themselves stuck in a problem needing to be rescued. God sends a rescuer in the form of Othniel to be his lion, to be the intimidating presence, to terrify what terrified, to terrify the thing that terrified the people that he was walking with, the future. But what's interesting to note is Othniel never asked for the role. Nowhere in this text do we see a prayer from Othniel saying, Jesus, if you would just enlarge my territory, give me more, give me a more prominent role, let my voice be louder, yada, yada, yada. We don't see any of that. We see somebody who is given the gift of leading the people, not because he is asking for it, but because God wants to use him in some way. That's completely countercultural to us today here in North America. If it's not bigger or better or louder or more, then it is not worth it. That's what our culture says. 
How many followers do you have on social media? I don't know. Are you even on social media? If you're not, don't get started. It ain't worth it. We have this idea, this need, this niche in our lives that says we have to matter to not just someone. We have to matter to everyone. Everyone. And on our quest for prominence, you know what what gets birthed inside of us? Self-centeredness and pride and self-pursuits to the detriment of the community around us and the God that we love and serve if, we're happen, if we happen to be connected to Jesus in some way. I can't tell you how many times that I have met peers who are pastors throughout our country that are desperate to be on a bigger stage with a larger audience, with more influence and more and more and more and more. That's a recipe for disaster. That's a recipe for disaster when we're only concerned about the next big thing that we can be a part of. Me being on stage and yakking at you has nothing to do with your value in God's kingdom. I'm not more important than you are. My voice isn't the best voice that needs to be heard in our community or anything like that. This is simply the role that God has invited me to play at this moment of time in this season of life. Othniel style. And there will come a season where that comes to an end. And then guess what? God will raise up another voice. Because the one narrative and thread throughout the story of the nation of Israel that we need to be mindful of is that this is God's story that he is writing. Not just the individual people that play a small part in that story. I want you to think right now through the roles that you are invited to play in your family, your workplace, your neighborhood. Maybe it's the role of a parent or grandparent. That role is not insignificant. Maybe it's a sideline type experience right now. That's not an insignificant role. Maybe it's a primary experience, frontline kind of role right now. That's not insignificant either. What if all of the roles that God has given to us, whether we actually enjoy them or not, are gifts and blessings so that the one who can embrace the moment of prominence isn't us, but it's actually Jesus? What if the spaces that we are invited into are to help people who do not yet know who Jesus is understand a little bit more that there is a God that loves them, a God that cares for them, a God that is passionate about them? What if those are our roles as parents? That's our primary responsibility with our children. If we love Jesus, it's to help our kids understand that they are created by God to love him and love other people. That's our primary responsibility. As grandparents, we get the secondary responsibility of coaching the next generation on in the very same way. As great-grandparents, we get a very similar responsibility. Now, our role shifts from primary diaper changer to supplementary diaper changer. But it's still significant. So let's stop holding these these various roles that we think are the best ones to the forefront. 
Let's stop chasing fame. Let's stop chasing more opportunity. And let's start chasing the right opportunity. See, if God invites us into something, he's going to give us exactly what we need to do what it is that he is calling us to do. Othniel was not looking for this. He wasn't looking for his moment to lead the nation of Israel. He was looking to remain obedient to Jesus. Can the same be said of our lives? Are we looking to remain obedient to Jesus or are we looking to pad our resume? Our relational resume, our work experience resume, or even our spiritual resume. Some of us are still caught in the trap thinking like we've got to do a little bit more for Jesus so that we can be noticed a little bit more. And then that on that day when we are united with him in heaven, that he's going to be like, hey, thanks so much for that. Come over here. Let's skip the line. There are no favorites in heaven. We're all going to have the chance to play tennis with Jesus and lose. Or pickleball. Some of you are picklers, right? Is that what you call a pickleballer as a pickler? I don't know. I've, been, I've just been saying that. So if I need to be corrected, I'm sure somebody will find me. What if we rejected our need to be seen, our need for prominence, our need for platform, and instead embraced the love that God has for us, and let that be enough. We can entertain people. We can be the best worker that we can be. But if we don't have Christ in us, through us, around us, then it all doesn't matter. Our cultural pursuit of prominence is secondary to what God wants to do in our lives. We want to be prominent in God's kingdom Let's be known for our obedience to Jesus. Here's the thing. I know that God is a speaking God, somebody who invites us into things. Sometimes they're difficult. Sometimes they're easy to say yes to. But the moment that we stop saying yes is the moment that we need to be concerned. Because it's the moment when we are valuing our own pursuits ahead of those that Jesus is inviting us into. And if there's anything that we can learn from Othniel and this group of people right now is when they settled for less than what God had for them, they ended up in chaos, and that chaos overtook them. Overtook them to the point where they were so desperate that they needed to be restored and redeemed from the moment that they found themselves in. And without God's supernatural divine intervention, they would have remained stuck in that space, in that moment, without hope. And for some of us, that's right where we are. We are stuck by the problems, by the absence of peace, by the chaos that's swirling around us and inside us. Some of it is self-inflicted. Some of it is environmentally or contextually inflicted. And what we need is we need a rescuer, our own Othniel, to lead us forward from that moment. The good news is, The Lion of Judah fights for you and fights for me. 
All we need to do is recognize when we've deviated and walked away from obedience in Christ and invite God to rescue us, and he's going to meet us right there. That doesn't mean he's going to make the the problems disappear. doesn't mean if you've spent money foolishly, all of a sudden, boom, here's $100,000. Don't spend it all in one place. He might not do that. But what he might do is like, okay, here's a plan for us to march forward through this problem. We're going to develop some things in you like resiliency and character and self-respect and self-control. And we're going to help you move forward into what I have in mind for you. All you have to do is trust me. And that's the thing. At the end of the day, it's an issue of trust. Are we able to trust that God is who he says he is? willing to fight for us, willing to love us despite our flaws and what we might think are our own deficiencies. And despite all those things, he sees intrinsic value in each one of us and instead of walking away from us in fear, he walks towards us. Nay, he runs towards us if all we would do is say that we need him. So I can't help but think as we dive further into summer, summer's a a beautiful gift and sometimes it helps us, you know, mask our problems and our concerns and our frustrations because the weather's nice, we can do more things, the workload may be a little bit more light, whatever it might be. But at the end of the day, if we never deal with the root issues that keep bubbling up in our lives... We will continue to spin our tires and run on that hamster wheel until we're exhausted. Instead, what if we could embrace what we're learning from Othniel and understand that even in the problems, peace is available. And if we reject our tendency and our need and our desire to be seen and recognized and heard and yada, 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 and it's replaced that with this capacity to remain obedient and committed to Christ. I think that's when you start putting all of the pieces of the puzzle together. And when the setbacks come and the challenges arise, we recognize that we're not alone in any of that. And we can trust that what God is building in us is of intrinsic value not only to us, but into what he's doing in the lives of people around us and around the world. Christ in us, Christ through us, Christ around us. May it be so this summer as we dive further into Jesus and walking with him. I'm going to go to a time of prayer, and as I do so, I want to invite you to respond in whatever way Jesus may be leading you. After I pray, our worship team is going to come up and lead us in a song of worship. And If you need to physically respond in some way during that song, I don't know what it's going to look like. Maybe it's raising your hands in worship for the very first time because you're like, I don't know why people do that, but I think I'm going to test that out. Sometimes raising our hands is an act of obedience in worship. It's an act of surrender. It's an act of recognizing not my will, Jesus, but yours be done. So maybe it's going to be that. Maybe it's going to be coming forward and praying up at the front because you don't have a burden, but you have a celebration. 
Maybe it's been a really good week and you've unlocked some things in your own life that, that were previously locked up and, and stuck in some way. Maybe you've got blessings that you've never recognized or blessings before and you just want to celebrate that. We've got the freedom to do that. Or maybe you want to find somebody, somebody that you came with or somebody that you think will listen and, and you're still working through a challenge and you want to just have a brief little conversation that's like, hey, I'm stuck in a problem. Can you pray for me? You've got the freedom to do that as well. But in these next few moments, I'm going to be praying that they are kingdom forward moments. Not our kingdom, but God's kingdom. Our desires for his will to be done, not our own. Would freedom reign in this place? Let's pray together. Father, we recognize that uh, life is full, life is odd, life is weird at times. And in all of that weirdness and oddness and, and sometimes chaos, we need a true north, a something that can guide us through. You are that thing. We can try and gravitate to anything else, but they will also always be lesser versions of what is available to us in you, Jesus. And so I pray that distractions would disappear, that addictions would fade, that relational tensions would not be so intense as to tear the relationship apart, but would instead be moments of learning and discovery and how you can grow together and find common ground and fight for peace with one another. Father, without you moving in our life, we're stuck. Just like this group of people that we've read about from Judges chapter 3. They were stuck in their stuff and their problems. They were overwhelmed and overtaken. And without your divine intervention, there was no way forward. And so, Jesus, we declare that you are the rescuer. You are the prominent voice we long for and crave in our lives. You are the only true king is worthy of our praise and as we celebrate who we are who you are and who you've created us to be may we always keep it in the right order and perspective you first your will obedience and surrender and growing in trust we pray these things in jesus name and as we respond through worship through prayer through conversation would you guide us in all these things we pray this in your name jesus amen